Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homey. I am your guest, and I'm your host, rather, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. Please visit our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. We help you win at the game of business and marketing so you thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Please be sure to check out our website. We have a breadth and depth of topics relevant to business creators just like you. Also, we have our syndication network. Sign up on the one you like best so that fresh content is delivered to you every time we release an episode. So I've gotten, before we get into today's topic, I've received a few questions lately from a few of our avid listeners, some of whom have podcasts of their own, and they've mentioned that the Business Creators Radio Show is basically audio only. They've also noticed that sort of an AM radio feel to it, sort of like a talk show, but we're not so concerned about making sure people are in soundproof rooms using super-duper boom mics with equalizers and everything else, even though a lot of our a lot of the uh, the podcast booking agencies who refer guests to us ask that we do. Here's the reason why we do this, and this is a little something you can possibly take home for yourself. Number one, the Business Creators Radio Show is a volume show. You know we release at least one episode a week. Usually it's actually two. Once in a while it's three, just depending on how much great information we have to share with you. So we like to keep the process of getting the episodes to you expedited. So we don't want to have to uh, have to always be locked out in one place. Second, like many of our listeners, I follow the laptop lifestyle, which means I don't want to have to know that regardless of where else I could be that day, I have to be in my soundproof office at exactly such a t- time to do an interview. Uh, it just doesn't that doesn't work for me. That just doesn't play with my worldview. So I do that to show you that you can have a successful podcast that's been on the air one month shy of six years. In fact. In fact, let me check. It might actually be more than six years at this point. Yeah, it's more than six years at this point, and you don't have to go through all that rigmarole. The third is when you are dealing with an executive audience and you're dealing with folks who are high-level in their companies, it's actually a recommended practice. Like let's say you have a mastermind or a group coaching program to conduct your group calls in audio. The reason being is many times, when folks at that level know that they're going to be on a coaching call, they will schedule their tennis practice or their gym workout or something around that so that they can consolidate the time that they're, quote, unquote, away from their desk or out of their office. Therefore, they may be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, but they're calling in from just outside the locker room at the gym, and they don't really want you to see that. So keep that in mind that you also have to think about who your guests are, you have to think about who your listeners are in some cases when you decide to do formats. Now, personally, I love video. I do live streams of my own through my own channels. I guest on a lot of podcasts where there is video, and when they want me to do video, I fix my hair, put on my nice shirt, and I show up. But keep in mind that in order to deliver great content, the sound really only needs to be clear doesn't need to be perfect. It needs to be clear. And furthermore, if you're doing something video, having great sound makes up for a so-so audio. Studies have shown that, and we've tested it ourselves. So I wanted to address that just for a moment and give our listeners something just to think about. I've been meaning to say that for a while, 
but I was reminded of that just a few moments ago by the gentleman you're about to meet, and I decided this would be a great time to introduce this topic. Now, speaking of unicorns, uh, we have somebody with us today who I kind of put in that category. There are a lot of people out there who teach you how to invest in real estate. We have had a few great ones on the Business Creators Radio Show. It's a track I like to come back to every now and then. And what I look for is somebody who has something interesting, something unique to say about it. In one case, we had somebody who taught us how by real estate investing, that can include investing in a driveway because somebody at the other end of the driveway needs to, know, needs to get access. Or maybe a driveway or it might be some old country road that the, the county or state government is no longer taking care of that's available for public purchase. So you buy that, and then it becomes more valuable because somebody at the other end needs to transport their trucks across it. Now, in this case, what we're going to do today is we're going to bifurcate something. What is the better investment, real estate or an existing business? So do you want to invest in real estate, or do you want to invest in a turnkey business that's available for you to buy? Maybe it's one, maybe it's the other, maybe it's both. And we are going to have somebody help distinguish that for us today. His name is Jeff Schechter, and his friends call him Shecky. Now, Jeff has had the entrepreneurial bug his entire life. In fact, he started his first business right out of college, and over the years he's been involved in numerous business ventures. And he's going to tell us a little bit about his journey, which goes back to the 1980s in just a few seconds. Now, today he owns HighReturnRealEstate.com. That's a great website. I encourage you to check it out. And in addition to investing, Jeff also operates a private consulting practice where he thrives on helping people realize their full potential, not just in business and investing, but in all aspects of life. So we have sort of a renaissance man here today. Shecky, come on in. The weather's fine. Yes, thank you, Adam. I guess I could say thank you, homie, right? I've been, I've been waiting for you to, to say that. Yo, <laughs> I don't play that and I don't clown around. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm excited to be here. Awesome, awesome. So here we are. We have people who are leaning in right now. They've gone to HighReturnRealEstate.com. They've uh, opened up a browser tab, and they're binging the Yahoo out of the Googles trying to discover this Jeff Schechter or Shecky or whatever this guy calls himself. So, Jeff, do us a favor. Tell us a little bit about your journey and what's brought you to where you are serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Well, there's a, there's a long answer to that, um, and thank you for the nice intro. I um, I've pretty much had the entrepreneurial bug my whole life, uh, mostly because I was somewhat of a, a rebel. Uh, I was raised by a clergyman. My father was a rabbi, and I was the firstborn. So I was always kind of taught to toe the line. I had a lot of different expectations, virtually none of which that I was able to live up to. And for many, many years, I struggled a lot with my own identity and eventually learned that I probably wasn't going to fit into the mold of the typical, you know, like, go get an education, go get a good job, get professional, be a doctor, be a lawyer, make us proud, that sort of stuff. And so my entrepreneurial journey was more to do out of necessity, and I became very, very scrappy and had a number of different businesses and got involved in sales. And it was probably in the late 80s that I always had an interest in real estate design, interior design, things like that. And I started doing some house hacking. And basically all that means, this was kind of before the term was invented, that 
you know, you buy a property, you live in it yourself, and while you're there, you do a number of uh, remodel and renovations to the property. And then after you've been in it for a couple of years and you've passed the time where you'd have to pay capital gains taxes on it, you sell it off, make the profit, and move on to the next one. So I did that over five or six properties for a few years. And that was kind of how my my love for real estate started, but, but had a number of other businesses and had a background also after the big crash in 08, I had a flipping business then. And of course, we all know what happened there and pretty much had my ass handed to me on a silver platter. And I then uh, got really interested in digital marketing and actually met my current business partner by consulting him in another business. That's the big irony. And it all started with a conversation that he had actually been buying some properties in Indianapolis, which is where our business is based, and said, hey, there's some really great returns here, Shecky. I think there's a, a business here, and it's a very unique structure to this business. Can I pick your marketing brain and see if there's something here? So those initial conversations were the seed of what now is high return real estate. That's what, like, kind of how I got to this day. Yeah, and that's quite a journey. And, you know, it's kind of interesting you mentioned, you know, being the firstborn and you had the expectations upon you. And I was thinking of that old phrase from a long time ago, that when you have kids, you need an heir and a spare. So uh, um, I was the firstborn as well. And um, I grew up with a sense that other people had basically written my destiny for me. And the way it turned out was, in many cases, the absolute diametric opposite of that. And yeah. you know what? So be it. Uh, and yep. I and what I love about you is your passion for what you do and how you've used a lot of entrepreneurial brains and such to make this all happen for you. So, first of all, I wanted to uh, I wanted to point out something. You seem to have the mindset of a younger man, and uh, so how did you maintain that mindset? and start a multi-million dollar business right before your 60th birthday. I think this is going to be good for folks who are either coming into entrepreneurship late or are thinking, do I really have another one in me? Tell us why they do. Well, I think part of it was just uh, sheer stupidity. Um, <laughs> Jack and I often joke around and say, God, if we, if we knew then what we knew now, we may not have ever started this company. So it, it's, it's right. been a very, very – challenging start and a lot of moving parts and things like that. But I personally, I've just resisted the whole aging thing. I, uh, for whatever reason, never got married, never never had kids. Uh, there's a big part of me that still feels like I'm open to both, believe it or not. And um, I, I've always hung out at least the last 20 or so years, especially with my involvement in the digital marketing space. You know, most of the people that are successful in that arena are in the, uh, are, they're millennials. And so I just got used to hanging around with a lot of them and, and became very comfortable being friendly and working with people that are significantly younger than me. And uh, I think I've done a pretty good job of, of staying fit and keeping myself healthy and certainly not without its challenges. But I just feel like there's some really, I'm, I'm a bit of a tech geek too in certain ways and I, Tech is changing everything, and it's also changing health and the way we look at ourselves and the way we age. And some of the stuff that I had been reading over the last, I don't know, five or ten years, it's very clear to me that I'm a baby boomer, and as baby boomers, 
there's some really interesting stats out there in that if we live past the age of 75, if we make it to 75, there's a high likelihood that we're going to make it to at least 100. So I started looking at that and going, okay, there's no way that I'm going to be able to live on Social Security, number one. Number two, how can I create a good quality of life for myself as I get older? How can I not live like a typical American that's going to be old and sick and overweight and ridden with cancer and heart disease and all the other stats that we know about? So I just set it out as a goal of mine. And starting a business, this kind of came to me, as you know, as I stated, it was just sort of happened out of a conversation. But because of my outlook, there was really no hesitation. Like, okay, this is a good business opportunity. This is a great guy that I would have to have to be partners with. I think there's something here. I honestly, at the time, which was over three years ago now, was having these conversations with Jack, I never once even put my age into consideration. So I think part of the key is to almost ignore that. Uh, you know, there's so many people, and as you, as you mentioned, I do some business consulting, and oftentimes it becomes <laughs> life coaching to a certain extent. I kind of hate that term. Right. That's why I'm laughing. But um, it, it, people are always asking these silly questions, like, am I too old? Am I too young? You're not anything. Those are just labels. You know, you're a human being with a drive, with a desire, with free will. That's all you really need. And especially nowadays where everything is online and, you know, the playing field is much more level now for individuals working against the same big companies that are dominating certain industries. And the ability for the average Joe or Jane to go out and build a successful company, I believe now is greater, the likelihood is greater than it's ever been in the history of our existence. So it's a, it's a fantastic time to be an entrepreneur, no matter what age you are. But the other reality is, is that there are, what, now close to 8 billion people on the planet. And whereas we think in our own heads that everybody cares so much about what we say and what we do and social media and how we dress and all that, and honestly, nobody really gives a crap. They really don't. <laughs> you, you're the only one who really gives a crap. And so I think you just have to get out there and do it and stop worrying about what everybody else thinks. And to a certain extent, get out of your own way and stop worrying about what you think. If you've got a good idea and it feels right and the numbers look good, then just go for it and don't worry about the other stuff. Because trust me, as an entrepreneur, there's going to be 12 billion other things to worry about in starting a company than whether or not you qualify. Yeah, I mean, I think um... – and, and and this is a theme that comes up over and over again within the Business Creators Radio Show is people think that there are all these qualifiers. And I can tell you that if you're looking for traditional financing from a bank, sometimes that is the case. And there are actually secrets to getting around that. We covered that in one of our other episodes. Uh, and some of it has to do with the address you write down on the application. There are all these little things they don't want you to know, I guess. I remember – Back when I first started as an entrepreneur of 2003, and I not only had had it be really a piece of cake to get bank, bank financing for my business, I would have loan officers show up at my door. Now, bear in mind, I've always worked from home. They would show up at my door, which means the place where I live, unannounced, with paperwork already filled out, 
where all I would need to do is tell them a number and they would call it in, call the number in and get it approved. That's where we were. And then we got to the point um, after the Great Recession and uh, Too Big to Fail and all this other stuff where I had uh, unbelievable both personal and business credit and I was basically treated like a criminal for even thinking I had the right to apply for a loan. And they tried to tire me out with questions like, why do you have a student loan? Now I'm asking for a business loan and they want to know why I have a student loan, which is a personal piece of credit. And yeah. at this point in the game, I said, you know what, the reason I have a student loan is because I went to college, moron. And uh, when I went to college, I realized that my room and board and the tuition and the books are going to be pretty expensive. So I borrowed money from the student loan people so I could finance a meth lab to pay for it all. <laughs> they went out of their way to let me know how unfunny they found that. Uh, and yeah. to me, I, I just thought it was hilarious watching them get all up in a bunch over it. So I bring that yeah. up. Just an example that there are always are going to be people who tell you that you have to qualify or you have to be deserving or you have to follow this exact set of steps. And what's great about your message, Jeff, is that that is actually in most cases not the case. And you can get money for your business without relying on the banks. I remember after that episode, about a year later, the same bank came to me. It was a different person working at the desk that day, and they said, hey, have you ever thought about taking out a small business loan? I see you have a business account. And I said, you obviously are new here. And they tried to <laughs> tell me, oh, well, you know, we could run that by our underwriters. Yeah, let me tell you about your underwriters. And yeah. uh, that kind of that kind of put a damper on them uh, putting their little notch in their belt that day. And I think at this point, some of them are actually getting the credit just for somebody being willing to fill out the application, not for an actual completed loan. Because I don't know many people out there who have actually gotten completed loans lately. Maybe you're going to tell us something different. And if you do, I hope so. But let's get a little bit into our topic here. Um, you know, first of all, let's define some terms. How do you define turnkey when it comes to real estate investing? Oh, it's a tough one. So just to pre-qualify, that is probably the most bastardized term in all of real estate and all of real estate investing. And it can mean a number of different things to, to different people. And realtors will use this term differently. Uh, commercial brokers will use that term differently. Um, in our world, it means a property that has already been rehabbed and rented and it is either performing or about to be performing. In other words, there's really nothing, and it's professionally managed. So the investor really doesn't have to have a day-to-day -day involvement in the process. Uh, they just, you know, keep a little bit of oversight. And so right. that's the business model that we're in. Oh, I see. Okay. So let's ask the question. What is the better investment, investing in real estate or an existing business? That's a tough one. I would say both. I mean, you know, I'm I'm an entrepreneur first and foremost before anything else. I mean, obviously, I have a huge love of real estate, and I happen to currently be an entrepreneur in the real estate business. So it's a it's a bit of a trick question for me. But when looking at my life as an entrepreneur and some of the other ideas I have for the future, I would always suggest investing in your own business first, whatever that is, right? Because if you look at at any kind of business itself and you invest further into it, 
whether it's to improve the business, improve the marketing, improve the advertising, whatever it is, the returns that you are going to be able to get as an owner of that business are probably going to be higher than any kind of passive investment that you're going to get elsewhere, even if that passive in investment is something as good as real estate. So I always counsel people, invest in yourself first, yourself meaning your business, your own self-development, your attitude, your, you know, your own individual growth. Those are always the best investments. Now, once your business is making any kind of money at all, and you can learn to live on less than what you're making, or you don't even need to learn, your business is doing so well that there's all this extra income that you, know, you don't know how to spend, then I would always strongly encourage you to take the extra money and use that to invest in real estate and most notably real estate that can produce some sort of passive income. Because in that extra passive income and in those assets are going to give your life some incredible financial stability. So that it will make it much easier for you to weather the ups and downs that you might have in owning your own company. All right. So at what point? I, I know that there is probably not one exact answer that we can just point to and say, that's the moment. But what do we need to consider when making the decision that it is time to cross that Rubicon, to move from investing in our business to investing in real estate? Well, I think when you get to a point that you know that your business is stable and solid and can provide for yourself and your family, and you've got a little bit of extra disposable income, and that might mean different things to different people. Some people can live very nicely on 50K a year. Some people are broke at 250 a year. So it's just yeah. hard for me to say, you know, it's just different for everybody, Adam. So it's hard for me to say what's going to be meaningful for that individual. You know, when I sit and talk to individuals, those are some of the conversations that we're having is like, what's a good comfort spot for you? So I think every, every person, every entrepreneur needs to ask some of those questions that are important to themselves and go, what's a comfortable place for me to be in? Can I still continue to grow my business? Obviously, a marketing budget, an ad budget, you don't want to cut those out. Can I still continue to grow it and make good returns? But then can I take some additional income and buy myself some additional stability? And, that, and that's really what you're doing when you're, when you're buying, you know, real estate that's designed for passive income. Yeah, you know, and that's funny you bring that up because I think people are different. Like, I know somebody whose business gross is a little over $300,000 a year, and I don't understand how the person struggles. Uh, they, uh, they, their, their debt profile is not that high. Uh, they have all that managed. They have ownership of pretty much everything. They don't have a lot of things on time payments at this point, so a lot of that revenue is actually realized money that's coming into their account that they can use and yet they seem to be struggling all the time. They seem to be short on money. But then there's other people I know who, on the books at least, you know, if you know what I'm talking about when I say that, barely make minimum wage, and they always seem to have a pocket full of cash. So I'm thinking there might be a yeah. mindset in there too. Well, I think it's mindset, and I think it's habits. Uh, but I also think it's who you align with. I mean, I always tell people, look, you, you really need the – you know, you need a good attorney. You, know, you need a good tax person. Like there, there's, there's, you know, you need a good CPA. There's people that you need to have. That's like to me, like the golden triangle right there. 
And right. when you have those three people and they all talk to each other, that's part of the triangle, then you start creating a situation where you can get some help with, you know, maybe that guy that's making 300 a year is pissing away a bunch of money in taxes that he doesn't need to. And we see that happen over and over and over again. And, and sure, there's some great write-offs in real estate, but there's also some great write-offs just within your own business, just for the way you do schedules of depreciation, cost segregation analysis. You know, like that's nine other conversations, obviously. But I right. think that you really need to align yourself with professionals that can help you manage that situation. I think about two years ago on Business Creators Radio Show, we had somebody who covered that. And, you know, it's always mystified me that you do have these three members of the Golden Triangle who don't speak with each other. So you have the attorney, you have the CPA, and you have the tax planner. So then what you have is you have the attorney who may be doing some things that are related to tax planning that are not in sync with what the actual tax planner is doing. That can result in the entrepreneur having to in one case, pay additional fees because they have duplicate work going on. And in the second, you may have multiple things being done on your behalf that contradict each other. And as a result, you may actually not be minimizing your liabilities and maximizing your cash flow the way you should. One more that really, 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 really mystifies me is in many cases, you'll have the bookkeeper and the CPA because some folks also have a bookkeeper. And you have the bookkeeper doing all the entries, and then they turn it over to the CPA to do the filings. And then every year the CPA has to do all these adjustments. Now, if they were speaking with each other and they had an understanding of where the CPA needs things classified to get the most out of the filings, that could save a lot of time and effort for everybody involved. And I see these folks all the time. They have their virtual teams. And if you ask them who their virtual team is, they'll say, yeah, I have my, my web guy. I have my social media person. I have my copywriter, I have the person who does my outreach for me, I have my personal assistant, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, ad infinitum, and they don't mention their attorney, they don't mention their CPA, they don't mention their tax planner. What? Yep. You, yep. you would think that you would want the activities of everybody involved to be aligned with the money. Yeah, and, and look, we're – we're not perfect either. I mean, we're guilty of some of that. You know, we live in this virtual world and everything kind of gets outsourced. And, and obviously as an entrepreneur, you're looking for ways to create economies of scale. And sometimes outsourcing is very meaningful uh, to help build your company. But I think the best thing you can do at least at a minimum is to have those people that are doing that kind of deep work for you that really affects you financially, whether it's your financial planner or tax person, whatever you want to call them, that they all know who each other are and they're aligned with each other for a strategy. Uh, if you are kind of an old timer where you know all those people in person and they all live in the same town or metro area as you do, the best advice I could give you was get them all together and take them all to lunch at the same time. Yeah. And just sit, and just sit them down and go, Hey guys, gals, like this is what this is what I'm up to, and this is what I'm trying to do, and you know, just let's all make sure that we communicate with each other. If you're doing things virtually, there's all kinds of tools to do that. I mean, you can get on a, a Zoom call or Google Hangout or whatever, and get them all together for an online meeting. 
and try and do it with video where they can all see each other and put a name to a face and it, you know, it really feels like you're, like you're meeting somebody. And that, that really works. Yeah, I think so. And I think of it almost like, I mean, even if you're, uh, even if you have a privately held corporation or a single member LLC or something like that, they can function sort of like a board of directors for you. It may not be the same thing where you take minutes and you vote on motions and things like that. I mean, uh, I mean, my limited liability company has a board meeting every year and basically what they do is, uh, they vote to extend my absolute dictatorship for one year and then they adjourn. But even if, even if that's Perfect. still the case, you still get your people together and maybe, you know, it's quarterly, maybe it's semi-annually, maybe it's just annually. It depends on your needs. But at least get everybody on the same page and get them interacting with each other. And you could even find ways to create projects or create things that need done that require maybe one of them is actually doing it, but it requires the input of the other so that it brings them together collaboratively and little things that might otherwise get missed by the silos get caught. So the tax planner sees what the attorney's doing and says, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, what about this? And who knows, maybe between the two of them, they come up with option three that was better than one and two put together. Right, and the thing is, different people have different areas of expertise, and the, the, the sad part is, you know, especially in the United States, tax laws are extremely complex, and yeah. they change all the time. I mean, we live in this, you know, very volatile political environment, and yeah. the the laws are changing all the time, so it's really hard to stay on top of all that. Uh, you know, it, it's much easier for three people to stay on top of the, the changes that affect you than just to rely on one person. And so I feel like, you know, it, it's a really good thing to have them kind of rely on each other and to say, hey, when you see something that comes up as a change that affects me personally or my business, we need to sit down and let the other two people in the triangle know about it. And that becomes a very, very effective right. strategy. Right. You know, this... It is, it is complex, especially when it comes to the laws and the tax rules and some of the issues that go into it. This is why if uh, for somebody who studies their history, and I'm an avid student of presidential history, this whole thing with uh, presidential candidates being expected to show their tax returns, there's nothing in the law that says they have to. Um, we see states that are trying to pass laws along those lines, but it's really stupid, in my opinion. And here's where it goes back to. It goes back to 1952 when uh, the vice presidential candidate Richard Nixon was accused of uh, doing things with a slush fund. And to prove that he was innocent, in that case, Tricky Dick was innocent, he released his tax returns. He said, hey, here, here it is. Here's all my money. You can see I could barely afford the respectable Republican cloth coat for Pat, uh, barely have enough for dog food for checkers. So here I am. I'm an honest man. And – the Democratic candidates, uh, Adlai Stevenson, I forget who the running mate was, also released their tax returns. When this all happened, uh, people who were in the room when it happened have reported that the Republican presidential candidate, Dwight D. Eisenhower, was so infuriated that he was able to take his pencil, jab it through his notepad, and actually make a hole before he stormed in the other room and shut the door. Here's the reason why. Eisenhower after achieving fame and success as the supreme commander of the Allied Expedition Force in World War II, had, in those intervening years, made a lot of money. Uh, came through a few things. Being president of Columbia University, um, he had a very, very, very lucrative book deal, which was a seven-figure deal for him, which in 1947 was big money. Plus, he was raking yep. in it on speaking engagements. Now, when you think about it, 
all Eisenhower was doing was using an asset, which was his fame and his recognition as an authority figure, and using that to create a better lifestyle and a legacy for his children and his grandchildren. That's all he was doing. But yep. somebody who doesn't understand this stuff could look at that and say, oh, look at that rich bastard. Look what he's doing. He's manipulating the taxes, and he's keeping all this money for himself. So when you see it translated in today's day, I mean, you see there's that there's that guy who happens to be President Trump. Uh, they call him, release your tax returns, release your tax returns. And I've been saying for years, you know what those tax returns are basically going to reveal? And this is my personal opinion. This is not really something I want to get into debate on. It's going to reveal that when he hit his downturn in the early 1990s, he wrote off so many losses, it took him 20 years to amortize it, and he paid no taxes. And it's also going yeah. to show that uh, – as an international businessman putting up towers and golf courses all over the world, he had a lot of dealings with a lot of foreign money. Now, that can be spun however you want, but then when you start getting into this, what it does is it discourages successful people from giving back to the community because now they're going to be scrutinized for taking advantage of these very complex laws as they are. And to me, yeah. that's unfair. And when you don't have your attorney, your tax planner, and your accountant working together, you allow for that confusion to happen. Well, that, the, the whole media issue and how things, to use your word, spun is freaking scary what's going on right now. And there's some, unfortunately, in my opinion, some very, very dangerous narratives that erode the beauty of capitalism. And yeah. it, it, it's, it's really, I mean, and obviously as entrepreneurs and your show and everything that you promote and that I promote, we're all on the, on the positive side of entrepreneurship all of the the advances in the world, both in terms of health, medical, technology, all that, are really a direct result of capitalists out there trying to make the world a bit, trying to get rich, don't make no bones about it, nothing wrong with getting rich, and right. doing it by providing better product services and advances to society that will allow them to be rewarded for putting that out there into the world. And yeah, somehow think, that's yeah. gotten spun into something bad. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah whereas, you know, whereas my thing has always been, uh, if you want to do good for the world, serve from an overflowing cup. Yeah. And I think that's part of where real estate investing comes in, You know, coming back to the main topic here, is it gives you that hedge. It gives you that margin that allows you to do more. So let's say your business hits a downturn. Still got those rental property uh, returns coming in. Uh, let's say you really need to raise cash. Eh, sell a house. So you have, so it gives you a cushion and it gives you a foundation for your financial future and the wealth of your future generations. Well, and if you're doing it right, you're, you know, there's a bit of a housing shortage right now. And, you know, they're, they're making more people right now than they are places to live. So it's not, that's not necessarily, you know, like a, a a metric that you can, you know, count on, but it's it's what's going on in the world, and you're providing somebody with a good place to live. And as our economy changes, there are more and more people, millennials especially, who want a more mobile lifestyle. Well, they don't necessarily want right. to live in a house, but they'd like to live in one. Right. And, I personally you know, live in a, I, I, yeah, I live in an apartment because I just don't want to maintain a house. But still, there's a value exchanged. One of the benefits of yep. living in an apartment is less maintenance. I don't have to do anything outside. And when my hot water heater goes, I call the management office. They will me up a new one. 
Yep, exactly. I I was leasing for a decade until recently, and I just bought a house. And there are issues with that that I don't love, but I I do love having my own place. And at the at yeah. this point in my life, it just made sense. But I totally right. get it. Like there's a lot of times where I just I wanted a mobile lifestyle. I wanted to be able to lock up and leave and travel and like who needs that? It's a pain in the butt. Oh yeah, I I I, I get it perfectly. And uh let's say that you are in a geographic area and you're not sure if you're staying, you're testing it out for a few years or what have you. Uh just to illustrate what can happen if you buy just because somebody said, oh, you're supposed to have a house because that's the American dream or whatever. Um, I know somebody yeah. who ha- who missed out on a very, very promising career opportunity. They lived in New York, and the opportunity was in Colorado, and they missed the opportunity because they couldn't sell their damn house. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. And 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 yet and yes, they looked into the and yes, they looked into the we buy houses people and things like that. But they would have taken such a loss on it would have hurt. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, there's there's other outs. I mean, you can rent it, whatever. But I, you know, I I totally get it. I mean, when you own a home and and it's not uh, a rental home is one thing. It's a performing asset, and it's got nothing to do yeah. with where you live. And but when you own a primary home that's your own, it's not an asset; it's a liability. Uh, True. You know, it's interesting that you know in every neighborhood there's always that guy on the block that votes like, "Oh, I've got three hundred thousand dollars equity in my home." And it's like, so, <laughs> but does that put any money in your pocket? And if it takes a downturn, it's state money that you've lost. And unless you pull that right. out and do something with it to get it to perform. It's it's just this nebulous term. Yeah, and you, and yeah, and you better hope housing values in your neighborhood don't tank. Uh, so yeah, then you could lose some of that equity. I mean, it's a it's right. a lot to think about. Exactly. So with that being yeah. so with that being said, Jeff, uh, let's say that uh, you have somebody who's at that point in their business where they feel they're ready to cross the Rubicon and get into real estate investing. Uh, I'm going to ask a very general question. I you may have a specific answer. Who knows? Uh, What's better to invest in, houses or apartments? Well, I'm biased now, but I think it's houses. <laughs> Excuse me. And the reason being is that you have a lot more flexibility. So, you know, you and I both know that there's a ton of marketing on the Internet and all the stuff we talked about before with level playing fields and all that other kind of stuff. We there's there's always a case to be made for multifamily. You know, buy, why would you buy a house when you can, you can have 50 houses under one roof and it's only one roof and it's right. less maintenance and blah, blah, blah. But the problem right. with uh, multifamily is that you have a very, very small market to sell it. It's just a, it's just strictly a um, commercial venture. If you need to get out, you're obviously subject to the whims of the, uh, commercial market, and what's considered a good deal in commercial is way worse than what's considered a good deal in residential, by the way. So, for example, like we, we're we almost always working on double-digit returns with our stuff, you know, cash right. on cash on the um, in the uh, In the commercial world, you know, like a, a good cap rate is 5, 6, maybe 7% on a fantastic day. Um, 
it's so if you if you're a, a you know let's just call it small to medium investor you're not like a super wealthy individual but you want to own one three five ten fifteen properties then I would say you're far better off doing you know mostly single family homes and the odd duplex here and there and be done with it rather than start looking at chugging into you know a hundred and fifty multifamily property uh, because it with the technology that's out there these days with investor portals and property management companies that are nationwide that understand different markets and things like that, you can own properties in a number of different places in the best places where you get the best performance rather than dumping all that into one building, one area, and praying hard. You're spreading the risk a lot better, and you can create a lot better right. returns with multiple smaller houses. Right. You hit on something very important there, that there are national property management companies. So if you own properties across several different geographic areas, you can actually work with the same company to deal with all of them versus having to now take on 14 property management relationships and deal with variances in quality and work styles and every other thing. Yep. That's exactly right. And and we're looking at that ourselves too. You know, we, We've operated our own property management team, and they're pretty damn good. But um, we are partnering up with another company that does national stuff for us, too, because we're looking to expand into other markets. And we understand how difficult it is to do property management. We would rather team up with somebody that's got, you know, managing thousands and thousands of doors rather than a few hundred doors because there's some incredibly economy scale there and far better technology that we can leverage than doing it ourselves. And it's, it's yeah. I, never, I never thought I would hear myself say that, but that's the reality of what's going on with technology. Yeah, and, you know, I, I, I think that's actually a good thing because uh, I can also see the value of diversifying real estate investments by buying them in several different localities. So that way, if the market in one area tanks, you don't get caught, necessarily caught completely underwater. Yep. Yep, that's exactly right. And obviously, the days of investing out of state or out of your area are huge right now uh, because, you know, you have, like, for example, we're we're all in Indianapolis and the prices are great and price to ratios are fantastic. But most of our investors, actually, we don't, I don't, I can't even think of maybe but one or two investors that invest with us that actually live here. All of our investors live in California or New York, or Seattle, or San Diego, or places where it's way more expensive to live, and they can't do what they can do in their own backyard, so they lean on us and our expertise and our boots on the ground of what we know in this area, and it works really well. Yeah. You know, part of the reason I wanted to highlight this, actually there's two reasons I wanted to highlight this, so thank you for bringing that up. The first is uh, there is a misconception out there, and this has been expressed to me, that when you do real estate investing, you either have to do it in your own small geographic area or you're taking a lot of chances. Well, you've shared with us shows that uh, with what we have today, some of that is to a significant degree mitigated, and you can actually consolidate your business relationships with a nationwide project, uh, excuse me, property management company. The second is, let's think about people who have these laptop lifestyles and things like that. Um, and let's say that uh, I had a lifestyle, I'm going to make this up. Let's say I wanted to spend three months in Las Vegas. I want to spend, I'm going to pick three other cities, three months in Miami, three months in Pittsburgh, and three months 
in Minneapolis. I like Minneapolis because I have some friends in Minneapolis, and I hear that part of the year it's actually warm enough to wear a tank top. So <laughs> I want to be able to basically seamlessly travel between these four places. So I have a fairly minimalist lifestyle. The only thing I really need to transport are a couple laptops and a couple hard drives and my cats. I could even leave a wardrobe in each one of those places. So the only thing I'm hauling is uh, a couple laptops and my cats. Very easy stuff. Yeah. And yep. I might think, well, instead of having to come up with new housing each time, in each one of those four locations, I'm going to rent a, I'm going to buy a duplex. Or and what I'm going to do with that duplex is I'm going to rent out one half of it permanently, and then the other side of it will just be that place I live in that town. So I don't actually rent it out, but if, like, if somebody comes to me and says, "Hey man, I'm going to be in Miami next week." And I say, do you get a hotel? And they say, no. Why don't you just stay at my place? And I've actually had people make those offers to me before because they have homes in multiple cities, and they find out I'm going to that city, and they say, hey, save the hotel. Just stay at my place. And I like that. Yep. No, I, I like all of it, Adam. I think there's there's room for enhancement. Uh, number one, I would cross Pittsburgh off the list, but I'm with you on Minneapolis. It's it's where I'm from, so if I didn't mention it, I'd hear about it. No, I, I went to college at University of Minnesota. I spent 10 years in the Twin Cities. Yeah. I, I love the Twin Cities. Uh -huh. And I, as a little kid, I lived in Duluth, so I, I love Minnesota. I just don't love yeah. it eight months out of the year. But, um, right. but I, you know, the plan is a good one. Um, and w what you're speaking to is this, this whole laptop lifestyle. And the fact is the, the way that people are investing is shifting to accommodate the laptop lifestyle. So because everything is on the Internet, uh, there are companies, like you said, national property management companies, you know, and teams like ours that, you know, maybe have expertise in one area that you want to be in. But, you know, we don't have expertise in a lot of other places. And there's, you know, companies out there just as good, if not better than ours, in other places that have expertise in those areas. And so you get to pick and choose. And, the only place where I might add, you know, just as an asterisk to the enhancement of that plan with the duplexes, there are also companies that will manage what we call STRs for you, short-term rentals. So you can then go out and Airbnb those properties, you know, keep that side for yourself. But when you're not in that city and you want to create revenue for it, you can have somebody manage it as an STR for you. And they'll throw it up on Airbnb yeah. and BRBO and all those other places. And then when you're in town, you just tell them, I'm going to block out those dates and don't rent it out those dates. So there's all kinds yeah. of ways to do some really, really cool stuff with the laptop lifestyle. And with the Internet being what it is, I mean, you know, and we're also in the age of transparency, too. So you can find properties that are in really, really good condition and insist on you know, inspections and before-after pictures and scopes of repairs and all that. I mean, these are like givens in our industry. Um, and it's just, you know, it's getting easier and easier to do that stuff because the technology keeps advancing and the catering to the whole mobile lifestyle is happening at, at just really a very, very fast pace. Wow. See, this is, this is really revelational. We've gone a little bit beyond... Well, we thought the original topic of this was going to be, which I love when this happens with Business Creators Radio Show, is, yeah, even I didn't think of that. So let's say that 
Um, I have a, I have a little place in Minneapolis, and I'm going to stay there from June through August because I don't like cold weather. So I'll come up there, and that'll actually be a nice break from the Las Vegas 115 degree heat, which I'm sitting in right now. So I just mm-hmm. tell my property management company, get me some stuff for 10 months out of the year, uh, but I'm going to be there during those months, so don't run it out then. Yeah. And it might not be your property management company. In other words, you might have to work with a company that specializes in short-term rentals. So it might not yeah. be a, you know, a traditional that's going out and finding you tenants and signing your leases. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, those are great, and there's stability there. Um, but if you happen to have a property that's in a desirable area, like, you know, like Talk Minneapolis, for example, maybe that duplex is near Lake and Hennepin. For people that know Minneapolis, yeah. and you're right by, and you're right by all the lakes on the south side there. Well, that's obviously going to be really desirable for short-term rentals for Airbnb. So then you find a company that specializes in that. Everything is now about specialization. That's really what the point is. Yeah, and which, and which you've also, I think, opened our eyes up to a little bit in a very practical way that people can understand and have a, a, a starting point from is if they want to get into the Airbnb or the housing share game or whatever you call it, that there actually are companies out there that specialize in that. Because I've heard folks like here locally in Las Vegas say, man, I'd like to buy that house that's right across the street from me and do it as an Airbnb because it's right across the street from me, and that way I can, every time somebody uh, checks out, I can go clean it. It's like, uh, really? Yeah. Do you really want to have to keep track of when people are in and out of your Airbnb and have to be available that morning to go change the sheets and, and, and sweep the carpets? I don't think so, because I don't. Yeah. I don't care. If it is across the street, at most, I want to sit out on my patio or my balcony and see them pull up with the van with the cleaning supplies. That's If I even want to see that much. Mostly, I just want to see yeah, the green I, in my bank account. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't want anything to do with that stuff, and that's why – that's why those people specialize in that, and they've got that stuff just dialed in. And, you know, you got somebody that checks out at, you know, you make the check out at 11, and they have their cleaning crews in and out of there by 3 p.m., so the next people can check in by 3, and the whole thing looks like clockwork, assuming you find the right company yeah. that specializes in that. But there are there are definitely companies out there that do that. Yeah, so... Yeah, I mean, I, I could see um, a, a forward-thinking entrepreneur putting together some sort of uh, laptop lifestyle travel package uh, that integrates ride share, house share, and all kinds of things, um, mm-hmm. along with uh, relationships with local restaurants, dry cleaners, and things like that, where they can get where they can offer discounts, and they could become like laptop lifestyle travel travel agents. I almost see a business opportunity there for somebody who wants to grab it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, there's there's so much opportunity out there. It's just you gotta you gotta start thinking in terms of how can you provide convenience for somebody else. I mean you think about all the uh the corporate relocation businesses gargantuan. But they typically put them up in, you know, these apartment complexes that are very generic. I mean, that's sort of a hybrid between the standard leasing model and the Airbnb model. So that could be done there too. And then your whole idea of incorporating rideshare and all that, hey, just show up. And you basically have a great place to stay and you have maid service and it gets clean, but you're not stuck in a hotel. And, you know, you've got an Uber or a Lyft to pick you up anytime you want and it's all part of the package. 
Yeah, actually, as a matter of fact, um, not the community I live in right now, but the one I lived in before that, the apartment community I lived in before, uh, two of the buildings were actually leased by some large company here in Las Vegas. And uh, it was for that exact reason. When they had people who came to the office on assignment, they would put them up there. Yep. yep. Yeah, there's tons of that going on. So there's there's opportunity everywhere. Yeah, so yes, there's also opportunity for somebody who wants to buy houses or buy duplexes or what have you and then make deals with companies where the company just pays a rental fee and everything else is handled for them, so it's turnkey for them, so to speak. Yeah, I can yep. I can certainly see that. I know when I I know when I go to Phoenix, Arizona, when I go to Phoenix, Arizona, uh there's this uh young couple that basically own an entire city block and it's five minutes from downtown. It's like two turns and it's, you know, easy. Uh, I always try to get into one of their houses. They have this whole string of identical little houses. They're, they're, they look so tiny, but they're actually spacious three-bedroom deals. And mm-hmm. every time I can, I get into one of those because it's just, it's, you just get a nice piece of the comforts from home and you're paying actually a few dollars less than that hotel room where the conference is and you're only a few minutes away. And since I typically drive the Phoenix from Las Vegas, it works out well for me. Cool. Love it. Yeah. So that, those are probably some people who are thinking ahead and recognize that Phoenix is a big mecca for conferences and business and got a little piece of it. So we're yep. right now pretty much the top of the hour, Jeff, and we've had a kind of a wide-ranging conversation I certainly have enjoyed here. So as we wrap up here, I uh, just wanted to see, um, is there something you have to share with our listeners uh, and if somebody's on the edge of their seat leaning in saying, I want to know more about this, uh, how can they engage with you? Yeah, it's just we're real straightforward. Everything that we do is under the name High Return Real Estate. And if you put a .com on the end of it, you'll go to our site. Uh, if you put a, if you look up a podcast, our podcast is called the High Return Real Estate Show. Um, just everything we do is under that label. Uh, but, yeah, you can go there and learn about myself and my partner, Jack, if you can, can actually see properties that are currently available and, you know, learn about our system processes. We're very, very straightforward. I, I wanted to say, too, that you, we are definitely have kind of decided to be the anti-guru. So I just want to warn people that are going there, we believe in not selling any kind of this real estate guru educational stuff. We are investors ourselves. And we just learned how to systemize things, and we just share what we learn with people, and we we just try and put a lot of good out there in the world, and it comes back to us. Yeah, and I just want to commend you uh, just from a um, from a peer perspective. You've done an excellent job owning the phrase "high return real estate" on Google. At least I haven't had a chance to check the other ones. Like uh, I just typed in the phrase "high return real estate," and I think at least eight of the top ten search results are yours. I'd have to dig into a couple of them, but I think you have almost the entire front page. Um, I see some of them are under your partner, Jack Gibson, and I also see um, listings for your podcast and some other podcasts that you guys have been on. So you guys are certainly uh, living the example of how to do something like this. Yeah, thanks. We We got a good crew helping us with SEO, too, so that really helps. Great, great. Well, uh, let me just say, um, Jeff Schechter, Shecky, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and an education. My pleasure. I really appreciate it. 
And for everybody listening, this is Adam Homie, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please be sure to check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com, where we help you win the game of business and marketing so you thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.